So in this week's episode, we're really excited to bring Shruti Kotari. She works at Blue Shield of California, as long as we're as well with our executive host and executive producer. Uh, it was really fun to be able to talk to Shruti. Joe actually did a collaboration event with her and a few other panelists on what it's like to be an early careerist in healthcare and some of the things that have been successful for them, which is really great to do a crossover with our podcast. Uh, we're currently in San Diego recording live. Uh, got Joe and Nakin here in front of me. What's up, guys? Hello, hello. Hello. How's we, how are we doing in this beautiful, non-sunny day so, in San Diego? <laughs> I, was, I was told that Southern California had droughts, that there was just unlimited amounts of sun. Uh, it's been chilly, rainy, sideways rain, and there's a cyclone coming in, and Joe tells me that La Nina is coming in in like a six-year cycle. So needless to say, we're, we're really excelling right now in our Southern California temperatures. <laughs> I, I want to, I feel like I have to defend San Diego here. I'm pretty sure there's maybe like 10 days of rain a year, and we just happen to, we're here for the one of those 10 days, and... By the end of this week, it'll be 80 and sunny again, but yeah, we just got unlucky. So. I will say, I did have lunch this afternoon in uh, Coronado Beach, and that place is amazing. Uh, it's only my second time in San Diego, so for those who haven't been, uh, truly recommend just a beautiful city, even when it's sideways raining. For those who have given feedback thus far, thank you. Uh, we really take it um, to heart and really want to make this something that uh, everyone's proud of, so yeah, thank you for your feedback. and We're definitely listening, and want to add it in as much as we can. Yeah, I, I have to echo that. Uh, you know, when the genesis of this podcast came together, it was us three guys, you know, really enjoying the space of looking up content, reading articles and sharing that with each other, sharing it with coworkers. So, uh, you know, this is uh, as much as we want to make it a sophisticated enterprise. It's, you know, it's very much us kind of working as we go. So we'll take all feedback as it comes. We're having a ton of fun doing this and uh, we just hope that it's it's helpful for our audience. and. You know, we had a great episode uh, last time with Salem. He provided some great incentives and some great advice, and I think you will all really enjoy the episode this week with Shruti. So speaking of Shruti, Joe, you got to be a part of her last event. Tell us a little bit about your, your experience working with her. Yeah, it was really fun. I got to be on a panel with uh, some folks from Thermo, uh, Thermo Fisher and from Ginger. Uh, so the whole topic was really about... Um, early career and how to navigate it. And each of the panelists had really interesting kind of backgrounds and something that you'll hear a little bit from Truti because she talked about her background as well in terms of entering healthcare. Um, you know, there's not really one path to, to go into this industry. There's, there's multiple, there's many different ways of going about it. And even if you've gone one direction, like you could always pivot and, and like go into different areas. So it was just a really fun conversation and got to speak to the audience, which was a really great um, thing and yeah, it's some stuff that we'll talk about during our session in the conference. But overall, it was really great. And Shruti has a really awesome organization, really working to empower women of color um, to be in leadership positions. Because um, as she's going to elaborate, a uh, very small percentage are in leadership positions, and you know, trying to elevate voices is, is really important. All right, welcome to Talking with Knockin, the segment where. I dive into healthcare news and try to focus on a few relevant stories that caught my eye or are on the top of my mind. As always, I'll try to focus on the relevance to students and young professionals and their impact to the healthcare system at large, bringing in Joe and Freddie for a lively discussion. So one interesting story 
that is kind of top of the mind is the promise of the new antiviral pill created by Merck to combat COVID-19. And it's called, I'm gonna probably butcher this, but I'm gonna attempt to do this for you listeners, Molnupiravir. I'm sure that's exactly how it goes. (laughs) Yep, I think so. (laughs) It consists of uh, four 200 milligram pills taken twice daily, and it's designed to reduce the risk of hospitalization and death once a person already has COVID-19. So the drug is designed to be taken for five days, starting within five days of the onset of symptoms. So how many pills is that? It's 40 pills total. All right. Uh, In one clinical trial, it cut hospitalization and death in half for those who were COVID-19 positive. And in another trial, it was shown to help accelerate the clearance of infection from the nose and throat. So the other treatments that currently exist once you've already had COVID are monoclonal antibodies. The problem with those is they end up being relatively expensive and they need to be given in a clinical setting. And the other drug in use right now is remdesivir, uh, produced by Gilead, but its results kind of are unclear. There's been some debate about its efficacy. And then dexamethasone is a steroid medication that has been used um, once patients are on a ventilator and it helps reduce uh, death um, once you already have COVID and you're in a serious stage. Uh, One of the things that the US has done recently once the the news came out about this new drug is they purchased $1.2 billion worth of, uh, I'm not gonna pronounce the drug again, but this antiviral pill. And so that's for about 1.7 million treatments. And at least eight countries in Asia and the Pacific are either in negotiations or have also signed deals uh, to to acquire the, the antiviral pill. And one other thing to note is that an FDA advisory committee will be meeting on November 30th to review emergency use authorization to see whether or not uh, it'll be allowed in the United States. So that kind of gets me to, to the question, you know, what do you think the impact of this, of Merck's antiviral pill will have on, on the public health? And uh, why do you think it's especially maybe a benefit for developing nations? So maybe before we jump into that, this definitely makes me think about a a kind of notion that's been running in my head and one that takes me back to my days when I was working in in human development as a Peace Corps volunteer. It's, we're seeing this pandemic and the virus really affect us now coming up on two years. And there's still a lot of the world that is not vaccinated who would like to get vaccinated. Obviously we we're seeing things here in the US with vaccine mandates, people who choose not to and what that affects. But we're starting to move into an interesting space where in the most developed nations, you have pretty effective treatments for when you have contracted the coronavirus versus in other places, you're still trying to fight the front lines of the pandemic, right? And it's, you're almost going back in time to see what it was like maybe here or in Italy uh, on the onset of COVID-19. So uh, don't mean to change your question, Akin, but it, it's, it's interesting to think about, you know, Merck is producing a pill that we take to reduce these symptoms, but there's people who are still dying from contracting it and not having access to ventilators. So I think uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't just mention that. But yeah, definitely, um, it's interesting to see what Merck is putting on the market. Yeah, I think when thinking about this this drug, I think about like where it will go. Um, and if we could think about the time when there was testing and which communities were affected 
And then when the vaccine hack came and who was affected, um, I guess I'm unsure and, and about, you know, who, which communities are going to be affected most in terms of being impacted by this drug, because I think like the location really, really matters. And, you know, there's been issues with access previously. So are we going to do something different or are we going to repeat kind of the same mistakes we've done before? So I, I don't know. Those, those are my thoughts. Yeah, I, I think the the major challenge I'm worried about is this antiviral pill. People will be like, well, if there's a pill, why did I get the vaccine? Are those that have still not got the vaccine are probably less likely to get it now? Or so and people will think it's like you choose one or the other. And in reality, a best practice is to use both. Right. The vaccine is going to help prevent you from getting it. But if you're unfortunate enough to have gotten the the you know you're infected then the drug is going to help reduce the symptoms significantly so i'm worried that it's not necessarily going to that information needs to be conveyed simply to people otherwise it, it it's probably not going to help and then i worry about the the equity part of it too that you know some of these other countries still don't have the vaccine or the vaccines that they're getting are not the Pfizer, Moderna, or J&J ones, they're made by a, a different department, government, foreign entity, and their vaccines are less efficacious. And so I'm worried that, you know, this drug could, could be, you know, life-changing for a lot of other developing nations. And the U.S. seems to have bought a huge stock of it already, and some other nations still haven't even gotten the vaccine, and now we're already <laughs> on the next level of protection so I, it makes me worried, I guess, is worried for everyone else. Well, let's go back to communication, right? I think part of the things that people have been so frustrated with the entire pandemic is communication seems to be all over the place. And to be fair, I mean, I am not envious of the position that some of our uh, leaders in the healthcare space are, especially in public health, because on one day it does change, the other day it's different. So I think to your point, Nakin, we're gonna have to be pretty judicious with how we deliver information, especially when there's already a lot of misinformation out there and there's hesitancy to just get a vaccine. So how do all these treatments work within each other? Why take them? Who is the people who should actually have access to them? Uh, clinical setting versus not. But you know, I'm definitely looking forward to the days where we're talking about how do we mend the problems that the pandemic has caused as opposed to still fighting it. But we're seeing a lot of pharmaceutical companies and, and other locations dump a lot of money into this. So it's something that we're going to, I think, continue to live with for some time. Yeah, I hope I hope that uh, one day this antiviral drug is like we treat this like we treat Tylenol, right? You got a headache, yep. you take the Tylenol. Like that's people's reaction to COVID will be like, it's like having a headache. Yep. And you just do this. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that'll that'd be a beautiful day when it's just like, you have a cold or like the sniffles and it's just like, oh, I have, I have COVID, no big deal. Like, I'll be good tomorrow. Um, so hopefully we get to that point. But yeah, definitely agree with Freddie on those points around communication and, you know, helping and supporting those communities. And this is probably a good time to call out. We are not medical professionals. This is our own opinion. Uh, if at any point you have any symptoms, please refer to your medical provider. Yes. Not the BYOB, the healthcare process. We will put the uh, link to the, the couple of articles I used to, to source some of the information I shared about, uh, about the new antiviral drug. Yeah, that's really great. I think with that, we'll jump into it and uh, we'll let Shruti kind of explore her background. And uh, thank you for that you guys are all here listening. 
Yeah, um, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I um, I have had sort of a random career in healthcare, I'm going to call it, uh, because I mean, everyone has always, so like, you know, I started my career as a health educator in medically underserved communities, vulnerable populations. And, you know, my last job before the job I have now was working in venture capital. So when people hear that trajectory, they're just like, how does, like, how do you go from that to that? They're like on op opposite sides of the spectrum. And um, my answer to this, it was never really intentional <laughs> to have that career journey. Um, I think what's always sort of guided me is the mission of, of what I do. And that's kind of just steered my career in different ways. So um, kind of the quick voiceover and walkthrough is um, I started off as a health educator and then I saw the gaps um, working with county hospitals and seeing like children as medical interpreters for their family and different things like that. And so um, decided after grad school to work in quality improvement on larger sort of programs that look to uh, work on disparities in different racial ethnic groups. Um, and then from there saw there was really some low hanging fruits when it came to innovation. Um, when you look at quality improvement sometimes and we can be very process focused, but also innovation matters as well. Um, and my last job in quality was working in home care, which innovation is pretty important there. Um, but then from there, I went to a startup uh, and then I realized you can only get, you know, your startup going if you get funded a lot of times. And that's how I ended up in venture capital. Um, and then I realized, you know, working with 30 early stage companies and even, you know, when you look on the investment side of it, a lot of it in healthcare has to do with regulation, what is being covered, how are Medicare, Medicaid popular, like, and, you know, uh, just coverage generally for health plans expanding um, for where there's ability to really scale innovation. Um, so now I work at a health plan at Blue Shield of California doing advocacy for our health reform agenda and looking to scale pilots that we have, but that require some policy movement and our industry alignment. Yeah, that's really great. I appreciate providing that background. I think uh, as someone who was a medical interpreter for my parents coming up, I understand that side of it. Uh, but I think you mentioned a lot of the things that this podcast is is meant to be about. And that BCP space is one that we'll get into. Uh, you're at a health plan now. You've worked at a startup. It's just in your intro, it shows that there is a large swath of uh, areas that you can go into in, in this industry. Uh, I think that's probably a great segue for us to talk a little bit about kind of what you do today. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're the director of industry initiatives uh, within uh, Blue Shield. Yeah. So um, it's kind of a meaningless title that you can't tell what that means, but <laughs> it's um, yeah. So we have something called the health reimagine agenda, something when I was not at Blue Shield of California um, that I was actually really impressed by is when you talk to a lot of startup companies or when you talk to um kind of just folks in the innovation ecosystem. Blue Shield of California was doing a lot of cool things around innovation and trying to test new things. Um, and, you know, I worked for Kaiser Permanente before and I love Kaiser, but they're, they're very large and they're a little slow moving and it's really hard to move things. And so that really impressed me. Um, and anyways, it's a very forward leaning program, this industry initiatives, because what it really is, is it's not only are they testing, um, 
with different things like payment innovation and, you know, things like data sharing. How do you launch a health information exchange in the state of California? Um, uh, and then also actually testing with startup companies like Mommy and looking at Black maternal health outcomes, things like that. Um, but then it's like to scale those things, why have, where have there been barriers? Is it policy? Is it that there needs to be industry alignment. Let's actually actively work on that so we can not just be in pilot stage, but we can scale. And so that's what I focus on. And what that actually looks like is three things. It's um, it's generally advocacy work. And there's like a three-pronged approach. We do, we do convening. So like coalitions and things like that with industry players, other health plans, systems, um, consumer groups, you name it. Um, and then we also do like publications. We write white papers, we op-eds, things like that, and, and do events to elevate the topic. Um, so it's really strategic and targeted and it is in the areas that we're looking to scale. So a lot of my big areas of focus are things like getting a data sharing mandate in the state of California passed, which by the way, the state of California has been working on that for like over 20 years and it hasn't been a thing because there are a lot of different interest groups that sometimes block that legislation. But I'm happy to report we we got that passed this past summer. Um, uh, Governor Newsom signed AB 133, which is super exciting. Um, so anyways, things like that and what that means for healthcare is organizations can share data with one another and you don't have to be a part of the same system. So when you're talking about data sharing, is that like on the patient side, like an EHR that they take, or is that kind of within the, is it like claims level data that's be identified and aggregated? Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of like all of those things. So basically when you think about if you're in one system, like at Kaiser, right, they say, oh, like when you're in the Kaiser system, we can see your data, we can see your history, we can see what you've done, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you have access to your own information as well. You can log into our system. What data sharing uh, and a health information exchange, HIE is kind of like the technical name would do, is have that ability across anything, basically. If you are a provider, whether you are running an addiction program, whether you are at a community clinic, whether you are at a hospital and somebody ends up in your ED, um, and you're a qualified kind of provider, you can log in and see somebody's information. And then you also are able to log in and see your own information. So we wanna talk a little bit about uh, your community involvement. And one of the, the events and programs that you set up is this um, organization called Women of Community. Uh, what was the, the genesis of the organization? And maybe talk a little bit about the, the recent uh, talk that you guys had yeah the, the webinar yeah so I um so basically I have somebody who was doing advocacy work before I was actually in advocacy when I was in venture I did my first taste of like a video advocacy series called the black founder series um and usually this results in when I'm upset about something I see a statistic or something with the black founder series it was I saw a lot of hypocrisy um you know only less than one percent of founders that are black get funded. And then you had, after George Floyd was murdered, a lot of VC funds come out with Black Lives Matter. And then it's like, really, if Black Lives Matter, maybe you should fund more black lives uh, and their companies, <laughs> whatever the case. Um, but coming off of that, I um, 
just a few months later, because that was in July, um, McKenzie does this annual report on women in healthcare, and they found that only 4% women of color are senior leaders in healthcare versus like 30% white women. And so, you know, it was like, it was kind of saying that, you know, while white women are also still underrepresented in leadership positions, women of color are virtually non-existent if we think about that. And when we think about the fact that like frontline providers, both clinical and non-clinical, how many women of color make up frontline providers, how many women of color make up caregivers, both paid and not paid, and the disparities in care that women of color face, right? There's the biggest gap for women of color in a lot of areas. So it's kind of egregious, only 4% are senior leaders. So I started I was angry and I was like, I'm going to do another video series. And I had friends be like, well, maybe you should make it into organization and see how it can evolve past a video series. Cause you know, you do get a lot of engagement for the work that you do. So I made an organization called women of community and true to form. Um, this is like nine months later. I don't even do the video series anymore, but we do a bunch of other things. It's grown a ton. Um, we have about uh, 3,500 folks in our network that follow us. We have, you know, LinkedIn, Instagram, and an email distribution with like a quarterly newsletter. Um, we do events. We do, we partner with uh, local artists to do advocacy campaigns. Uh, Monday Motivation is probably our, our most popular and known one. Um, but yes, and we are, the events, we do things from just like interesting topics like women's innovation and women's health, you know, to actual skill-based sort of ask me anything sessions. And so our last session, um, Joseph was on, which I was very excited for. And he talked about this podcast that, and along with a lot of other work that he does too, but um, it was, uh, you know, like I, myself, when I first came out of under, I had no idea what I wanted to do because the career I thought I wanted to do didn't end up working out. And I had to take like six months to figure out what I wanted to do. And I, I think that that is a common problem people have if like, they're not like, I'm going to be a doctor and it's this very structured pathway or a lawyer. And even then I would argue that you don't really know when you're like 21 and 22, what you want to do with the rest of your life. Um, but uh, so that session was just on early career and folks were interested in getting into healthcare. And so we had Joseph and uh, two other folks, uh, somebody head of HR for a, uh, Ginger, which is a pretty well-known startup company. And then also um, somebody who's worked, who's three years out of undergrad and like is just killing it and has gotten jobs at very hard to get places. But anyways, it's a session where we have like two or three targeted questions and then you can ask the panelists anything. Our next one is coming up October, uh, October 28th, I think. Um, follow Women of Community on Instagram and LinkedIn and you could see what it is, but it's about how you leverage social media to build your professional brand in healthcare. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, well, we'll definitely have to give you some love and I, I have to look at the dates, but your episode may be coming out on that date. Um, oh, okay. So we'll check. But you did mention your Monday motivation and we do release our episodes on, on Mondays. So I think we're probably existing in similar spaces, right? We want to bring healthcare topics to people who sometimes have these topics just curated in a way that doesn't make sense, speaks to an executive audience. So in a, a cross collaboration here, can you share a Monday motivation that you would to anyone who is looking to do maybe some of the stuff that you do today? Uh, and if you were at the opportunity to sit down with you, what would you say to them? Yeah, I would say, so 
you know, I think the difference been between people who, you know, I've had so many people be like, how did you think of women of community? How did you think of Black Founders, you know, series? How do you think of these things? And I think, I think everyone has really good ideas for things to do. I think the difference just is execution, like just doing it, like just having confidence that, and maybe not even just, like, it's just not caring what other people really think, I think is if, it, if you're doing it with the right intent of like mission and to, you think it's important. Um, I think you really shouldn't care about what other people might think and just take the risk and give it a try. Um, whether that's starting an organization, whether that's taking a new job that seems scary, whether, you know, that's taking a workshop on something that makes you uncomfortable, but you're interested in it um, because the uncomfortableness is probably just fear. Um, but yeah, I would say, I would say so many people have failed. And even if you fail, you learn something from it. It's not really a failure. It's more just, you know, growing and growth. So that's kind of my advice. Just do it. Is to channel my Nike spokesperson, just do it. Uh, so your work thus far has kind of been pretty wide ranging. What are you most proud of in your career? Oh man, what am I most proud of? I have to tell you guys, like I, um, I never thought I would even be like this far along in my career. So this is like, um, I think, you know, so just like the backstory, like a little bit is, uh, you know, I come from a family that is somewhat traditional and uh, really mobility for women is through marriage is like how it works, basically. Um, my mother, my dad passed when I was young and I was raised by a mom who was single and uh, didn't have a college education. And I saw the firsthand example of how that plan doesn't really work out. Like you should have, you should have your own plan too. <laughs> like, and so... Anyways, all of that to say, um, like I have, you know, my mom was an hourly worker, all that kind of stuff. And so I have come a lot further than I think anybody has had ever thought that I would. My brother's a doctor. And so he was always like, yeah, he's going to be a doctor and we don't know what he's going to do. But um, I think, you know, I think one of my proudest sort of it's, it's tied to the fact that I can take care of myself and it's that financial, like getting to do something you love and also being paid for it and being secure. You know, I bought a condo in San Francisco by myself a few years ago. I would say that's probably a mark. Like I felt like that's something I never thought I'd be able to do. And it was like really just for me, a marker of success and my ability to like take care of myself. Um, so I know that's not directly what you asked me because you sort of asked me about like my career, but I think these things matter, right? Sometimes we're told that like you can't have mission and you can't have salary, like both, you have to choose one. And I think that's incorrect. And other people have been doing it for years that way where they get to do what they like and still make them money to support themselves and their family. And so I don't think that people should, I don't think you should fall short of that and you should keep kind of reaching for that. I think that's uh, really key. And I think that's something that is hard to hone in on, right? Especially for women and women of color. It's how do you choose something that provides you the financial benefit and the ability to be financially free or as much as you can at the age that you're at, but do something that really energizes you, wakes you up every day. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And I think that'll resonate a lot with our audience. Uh, I do want to ask you because you have moved from a few really great organizations how did you have the ability, whether we want to say that the courage or, you know, how do you define 
the ability to say, you know what, I want to go do something else and I'm ready to go do it. And even if I'm not, I know this isn't it, at least for today anymore. Um, what advice would you give to people who are saying, I want to make that same move? How do I do that? And, and what are the steps they should take? Yeah, I said this once to somebody and they just like laughed and um, she always quotes me on it now, but I, I believe I can do almost anything like to a point, like I can't, that's not skill-based. Like I can't be your surgeon. You don't want me to be your surgeon, right? Like, but can I work in it? Like, can I build a strategy on something that I've never, I don't like know about? Yeah, absolutely. I'll figure it out and I'll build a strategy that works. Like I have faith in myself to do that. And she asked me, she's like, where do you have that confidence? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just don't second guess it. Like, I'm like, I feel, I feel like I figured out a lot of stuff in life, but I, I think um, the same way for the people who are like, I really want to do that. I think, I think we're, what actually holds people back sometimes is their own like voices in their head. Right. Like, or their fear of like, I, I, will I be able to figure that out or, you know, whatever. And also having faith in the journey. Um, oftentimes, like I've taken jobs that I knew absolutely nothing about, but I was like, I'll figure it out. It's fine. Like when I worked in home care, I mentioned, I literally had a Google what home care was before the interview of the job. And this was, this was on the onset of public reporting. And it would be like the quote unquote national lead for Kaiser's home care program. And uh, what turned out was because it was so inpatient focused at the time, the people who were hiring me also didn't know much about the, the home care program. So it all worked out and I figured it out. And, you know, I became an expert over, over the course of years and knowing I didn't know and knowing to have that humbleness of like asking questions and being like, I want to be in the home. I want to shadow whatever. Um, so you can't be like overly confident, but you just have to have confidence in yourself that you can figure it out. Like you figured out a lot of stuff in your life and you'll be able to figure it out as long as you stay humble and hungry and like you have your work ethic in it because you want to do a good job. Um, so I say like the advice would just be to, to have that confidence in yourself, but then also take on things that you weren't expecting. So like, if you're trying to switch from traditional healthcare into startup or something, or big tech company, like take the job in sales. Like you, there's no better way to actually learn about something than a sales job. Cause you're actually selling it. Right. And that's the number one way that people actually break into innovation. Like the start specifically the startup or like the big tech sort of landscape in healthcare. Um, but yeah, so take, take roles that may not be a part of what you think that you should be doing. So I think one of the things that is pretty important for our listeners to understand, or at least kind of point attention to is that it's very evident that Shruti was incredibly passionate about what it takes for women of color to be in leadership positions, not just in healthcare, but really across the, the business spectrum. When we started this podcast, it was truly, we were restless in the pandemic. We wanted to help other people. We're all really uh, focused on mentoring and, and development. So we said, how can we expand that in a way that reaches a lot more people? We hope that uh, through hearing Shruti's experiences, if you have the opportunity to check out the Women of Community event and just seeing us kind of, you know, experiment with what it looks like to bring different people on that. If you've got a dream out there, you've got something that you've been wanting to dedicate some time to it, do it. Um, you know, we're still trying to figure it out. It's not perfect by any means, but we're having a ton of fun. So if, if you've got something out there that you're itching at, uh, there's a lot of people who I think would be willing to listen and, and pay attention to the things that you care about. So 
uh, here's your little push to say, uh, go on and do it. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important to say, like, this can be at any point in your career. Like, you'd always pivot. You could always move into a different area, um, a focus, you know, based on what you're passionate about. You know, if you're passionate about something, then it's not going to feel as much as work when, it, when you're getting into it. So I think uh, with Shruti and her career, she's really followed her passion and her interest, and that's really driven her to, to great heights thus far. And I think the, the thing to take away is Shruti hasn't necessarily had a linear career progression, and it's something that maybe some of us, I know I worry about that sometimes, like, you know, not getting the promotion means, like, it's not going to look good, but you really got to think about what do you want to do long term and keep taking projects that might be slightly outside your scope if you're interested and you're excited about it. And it could take your career in different places and you can still be successful like Shruti and, and get to work on your passion. So I uh, highly recommend taking those opportunities when they come. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Nakin. There was a great article that was sent to me recently by a mentor and it talked about the notion of optionality versus pursuing alpha. And for our friends in finance, you know, pursuing alpha is this grand thing that you go after, but it's you don't really get there. You know, you're searching for this ultimate kind of prize. But it kind of boiled down to what Nakin just said. It's being able to build up experiences, build up kind of trophies as you will, but are you choosing to do it for an end result of change or an end result of just picking up trophies? So uh, we could do a whole podcast on that, but just remember that, you know, as you go through the different whims of, of your work and your life, it, it's fun to be able to enjoy the process and, and the progress you have. And I think, uh, you know, our, our guest Ruthie today really spoke to how she does that in her passion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, thank you so much, Ruthie, for, for taking part uh, of this. And it was really great to take part in your event. So excited for potential collaborations down the road. And now, a word from our sponsor. The American College of Medical Practice Executives, or ACMPE, is best known for its board certification. But new this year, the ACMPE is now offering two credential-bearing certificate programs, the Human Resource Management Certificate, HRMC, and the Financial Management Certificate, FMC, are based on the ACMPE's industry-leading body of knowledge framework and deliver practical expertise that you will draw on throughout your career in practice management, providing a deep understanding of a specific domain. The certificate programs can be completed at your own pace online and with no prerequisites. You can get started right away. To redeem your $100 discount, use the promo code CERTIFICATE100 during checkout. Get started on professional development that shows the industry your expertise today. Visit mgma.com slash certification. And our last, last question that we like to ask all of our guests, because it's BYOB, the healthcare podcast, what is your favorite drink, alcoholic or otherwise? Dirty martini, hands down. Not too dirty, <laughs> with vodka, yes. <laughs> that, that's my favorite drink. Ever wanted to get updates on timely topics and industry updates? MGMA has webinars to help you out. MGMA's webinars range from 30 to 90 minutes, and you can find new webinars live almost every week of the year. The best part? Most of the webinars are completely free. You heard us, free. Visit mgma.com events to see what's on the calendar and stay tuned for new webinars being added weekly.